All right, let's dive in. Uh, you remember we started this series last summer. We took a break, and then we picked it back up this past June. And so now here we are, and um, uh, hopefully, it, it, this is kind of a long chapter to be on. Am I on? I don't sound like, a, am I on? Can you hear me? Okay, all right, maybe it's just me. All right, I'm getting older now. So uh, um, it's kind of a long chapter, so uh, bear with me. A lot of names, as I said, a lot of information that really might not be all that exciting to you, but bear, bear with me. kind of reminds me of a story about a preacher. He got up to preach one Sunday morning, and he thought he should explain why he had a Band-Aid on his chin. He said, as I was shaving this morning, I was so enthralled in thinking about my sermon while I was shaving that I lost my concentration, and I accidentally cut my chin with a razor. He then went on to preach the longest message of his life. And after the sermon, one of the teenage boys came up to the preacher afterwards and said, Hey, how about next week? Why don't you think about your shaving and cut the sermon? Uh, So we're going to try to get through this chapter today so we can finish it because I want to start a new one next week. I know next week you're going to be excited. You're going to want to be here next week because next week we're going to talk about money. So I know you're excited about that, right? So anyway, a bit of a lengthy chapter. Bear with me as we do our best to uh, beat the Baptists to Texas Roadhouse today. All right, so Paul wraps up this letter to the church at Rome by reminding the church that they are a family. This is a family chapter. It's filled with family language. In verse 1, he talks about Phoebe. Phoebe is, uh, you know, she's a sister, he says, and then he's spiritually speaking here, we know. And then down in 17, one more appeal, brothers and sisters. And then uh, he, a little bit later on in verse 23, Paul mentions a guy by the name of Cortes, who's a brother. and, and, And so he He's using this language. It's all family language. What he's saying to the church at Rome is we are definitely, we're one. We're family. We're all of the same lineage, so to speak, spiritually speaking. And and so there's this common thread that's running through the whole chapter that that Paul is saying, you know, we've got this spiritual family thing going on. and, And so we need to act like it. We need to love like it. We need to treat each other like family. And in verse 2, he mentions Phoebe. Verse 1, or in, uh, in verse 1, he mentioned Phoebe. Now he says in verse 2 about her, welcome her in the Lord, okay? As one who is worthy of honor among God's people, help her in whatever she needs, for she's been helpful to many and especially to me. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co workers in the ministry of Christ. Skip down to verse 7, greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who were in prison with me. They're highly respected among the apostles, became followers of Christ before I did. Uh, Greet Ampliatus, any idea on that? You know, I don't know. Uh, I had a professor in college who said, just pronounce them like you know what you're talking about, nobody will ever question it. So we're going with Ampliatus, Okay. Uh, my dear friend in the Lord, greet Urbanus, that one's pretty easy, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Statius, and we're just going to stop there for a while, and, and here's, here's what I want you to see, 11 times in this chapter, Paul says, greet them, 
Welcome them. He's talking about the people in the church. Welcome this person. Greet that person in the Lord. And the reason I bring this up is so that you understand that in the church, when we're dealing with family, we're dealing with spiritual family. And Paul is writing this incredible letter that is filled with so much wonderful news. He's talking about freedom in Christ. And he's talking about no condemnation if we're in Christ. And he's talking about now that you're saved, you need to act like it and you need to serve him. And he ends this letter by saying, all of this behind us, now know that we are family that's why i'm calling this sermon we are family you think of 1979 sister sledge the pittsburgh pirates anybody with me on that okay maybe a few of us all right we are family i wish we could have done that this morning but anyway that's what i want you to get we are family and according to paul there's a certain way you treat family Okay? In this last chapter, Paul mentions 26 people by name, two people he mentions. He doesn't call them by name, but so a total of 28 people altogether that he mentions. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't get too excited when I'm just reading through a bunch of names. When I'm reading through a list of names, when you, know, you get in the Old Testament and you see all that genealogy and you look at Jesus and Matthew and you're looking at that genealogy and a lot of times we don't get too excited about a list of names. We don't really pay much attention to names. We really don't care about names all that much. Unless it's your name, right? Or it's someone that you love. And these people, Paul is mentioning, he loves them. He sees them as family. He sees them important. It matters to him because these are people who are very dear to him. And it shows us that even the Apostle Paul, someone as great as the Apostle Paul was, had a community of people around him that helped to make him who he was that helped him to serve Christ the way that he did. He had a spiritual family. And again, this is a pretty long letter. I wish I could spend a little more on, time on it, but we're going to do our best to wrap it up today. Let's dive in. First thing we need to understand, as a family, we need to be like Paul, and we need to be welcoming toward one another. We need to be welcoming toward one another. Verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church at Sincrea. That's a whole other sermon. Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many and especially to me. Now, I think it's very important that Paul mentions Phoebe first. The very first person that he brings up is Phoebe. Now, I want you to understand something. You might think this isn't really all that big a deal, why, you know, that he mentions her first, but you need to understand this letter was written about 2,000 years ago in a culture that didn't exactly support women. I think it's huge. Because in our world today, what a lot of people think, a lot of people think that the Bible is archaic. They think that the Bible is anti-women. They think that the Bible is chauvinist. But time and time again, we see the important roles of women within the church, within society. The church was counterculture then. It needs to be counterculture now. They set the trend for how women are to be treated. Because here's what was happening. In the Greco-Roman world, the time that this was written, when a baby was born, everyone in the family hoped it was a boy because girls, women, were devalued so much. If it was a boy, there was a greater chance for survival. If it was a girl, well, it was regarded 
by the family as a financial burden. And that's more than just having to pay for the wedding. I mean, it was, it was a, a huge, huge thing, right? A common practice in that day and age, and this is what I'm about to say is very disturbing to me. But it was a common practice in that day and age that people, when their babies were born, if they didn't want their babies, they would take them to the trash heap and they would leave their babies in the trash heap. Especially if they were girls. There were way more girls than boys. And they would toss the babies out with the garbage pretty much. And if they survived, they were usually picked up by people who would make them slaves or prostitutes. But when we look at the New Testament. Jesus comes along. And he welcomed women. And he honored women. And he talked to women. That nobody else would even give the time of day to. So when people today talk about the Bible. And, and, and the church being anti-woman. They flip the script on how women were treated all around the world. No? Jesus had a group of women who traveled with him and, and the disciples. They were part of his ministry team. There was a group of women who followed Jesus all the way to the cross and were there when he died. And it's very interesting. We've had this conversation before in our office. It's very interesting that the very first people that he trusted to carry the gospel message that Jesus was alive, that he had in fact risen from the tomb with women. So if when Paul gives this list of people, he starts it off by thanking people. I think that's a pretty big deal. A lot of times we just skip over that. We don't think too much about it. And it's consistent with how we need to be honoring women in the church. I thought at least one woman would say amen by now. Where yet, ladies? <clears throat> Maybe I didn't go far enough. All right, I don't know. And, and, anyway, many scholars believe that Phoebe was the one who ca actually carried the letter. Uh, that Phoebe was the one who carried the letter from Paul to the church. That's, that's kind of cool to think about, right? And in this letter, he says, when, when she comes, welcome her. Be welcoming. The word that is used here in the Greek is philonexia. And it literally means the love of strangers. Okay? It has to do with this idea of being hospitable. It has the, the idea of being friendly toward people that you don't even know. And I think we do a pretty good job of that in here. I, I have people that, that, that they'll come to this church and they'll stay at this church because they say, man, when I came in, I just felt like I was at home. People welcomed me so much. But I've also had people tell me that when they've been around people in our church, they didn't seem very friendly. And I said, hey, church softball games don't count. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, but, but I've heard people, you know, say that seriously, that, that like, you know, I just kind of felt like, you know, nobody, I, I want this church to be a church that welcomes people. When they walk through the door, they should feel like they've been here the whole time. Lucy Larkham, a poet and a teacher at Wheaton College, said this, if the world seems cold to you, light fires that warm it. 
And this is what Paul continues to do in verse 3. He continues to send regards to people by name. Greet this guy. Greet that guy. Greet this gal. Greet that gal. And in this section, he moves from just welcoming people to honoring people. He takes it next level. Not only does he say, hey, come on in, you know, so on and so forth. But, but now we're going to start honoring people. People give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I'm thankful to them, and so are the Gentile churches. Also give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend Epinetus. He was the first person from the province of Asia to become a follower of Christ. Give my greetings to Mary. I, knew, I know how to say that one. That's good. I'm glad that's in there. Who has worked so hard for your benefit. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who were in prison with me. They are highly respected among the apostles and became followers of Christ before I did. Greet Ampliatus and my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Statius. Greet Apellus, a good man whom Christ approves and gives my greetings to the believers from the household of Aristobulus. Rodian, my fellow Jew, greet the Lord's people from the household of Narcissus. Uh, give my greetings to Tryphena and Tryphosa, the Lord's workers, and to dear Persis, who has worked so hard for the Lord. Greet Rufus, whom the Lord picked out to be his very own, and also his dear mother, who has been a mother to me. Gre give my greetings to uh, Asencritus, <clears throat> Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers and sisters who meet with them, give my greetings to Philogus, Julia, Nerusus, Nerus, something like that, and Olympus, and all the other believers who meet with them. Greet each other with a sacred kiss. All the churches of Christ send you their greetings. Skip down to 21. I know these are a lot of names, and you're all like, just come get on. There's a purpose, trust me. Timothy, my fellow worker, send you his greetings, as do Lucius, Jason, that one should be easier, uh, uh, Sosipater, my fellow Jews, I, Tertius, the one writing this letter, Paul's not even writing this, uh, apparently Tertius is kind of his secretary, so to speak, I, Tertius, the one writing this letter for Paul, send my greetings to as one of the, the Lord's followers, Gaius says hello to you, he's my host and also serves as host of the whole church, Erastus, the city treasurer, sends you his greetings and so does our brother Cortus, now all glory to God who is able to make you strong just as my good news says. This message about Jesus Christ has revealed his plan for you Gentiles, a plan kept secret from the beginning of time. But now, as the prophets foretold, and as the eternal God has commanded, the message is made known to all Gentiles everywhere so that they too might believe and obey him. All glory to the only wise God through Jesus Christ forever. You know what this list shows me? It shows me that Paul was really good at making friends. He was more than just somebody who said, hey, I, you, you need to come to know Jesus. He was more than somebody who was a soul winner. He cared about people. He was good at making friends. And I don't know how you pictured Paul in your mind, but a lot of times, especially when I was younger and didn't know as much about Paul, I would picture Paul in my mind a little bit, I, I don't know, more of a no-nonsense, nose-to-the-grindstone, I-gotta-get-the-job-done kind of a guy. But Paul knows a lot of people, and he's mentioning them because he cares about them. He loves them. He's made friends with them. He knew each and every one of them personally, by name. 
I heard someone say this one time about friendship. A friendly person operates on the basis of supply, not the basis of need. Because you can, you can operate, what he means is you can operate on two different levels. You can operate on the basis of need. In other words, I need this. People better give me this. I hope someone is there to do something for me or do this or that for me. Or you can be the kind of person that operates on the basis of supply. You give. You minister. You share. If you want to be the kind of person that Paul was, you want to be the kind of person that Jesus was, you want to be the kind of person that can win friends and influence people and lead them to Jesus Christ, you need to be the supply. And I think Paul was good at this. No? I don't want to go through all the names again uh, because there's a lot of them and I don't know how to pronounce most of them, but uh, I want to touch on a couple of them. Right? Um, the first one, Priscilla and Aquila. Isn't that cute? Priscilla and Aquila, married couple. They probably met at junior high church camp. That's my guess. Hi, I'm Priscilla. I'm Aquila. <laughs> Aren't we cute? Maybe not. Okay. That, that's, the, that's Ron's version. But they were a great team. And they're originally from, from Rome. They were kicked out of Rome when Emperor Claudius expelled the Jews in 49 AD. They moved from Rome. They settled in Corinth. And they were tent makers by trade. And so they set up their business uh, in, in Corinth. And, and they were Jews. As I said, And so they went to the synagogue. So when Paul comes to Corinth, the first thing he does is he goes to the synagogue. Now, some interesting background. Why, why this is important. During those days, when you went to the synagogue, the men sat on one side of the church, and the women sat on the other side of the church, okay? So not only were you separated by gender, but you also were seated by what your profession was, right? So all the plumbers sat together, all the, the contractors sat together, all the, all the tent makers sat Whatever your job was, that's where you sat. Now, what was Paul by trade? He was a tent maker, right? Priscilla and Aquila, tent maker. So when the apostle Paul comes to the synagogue, he walks in, he goes to the guy's side, not just the guy's side, but the tent maker section, and he runs into Aquila. Coincidentally. no. God incidentally, because there they strike up a friendship and Paul is able to lead Aquila to the Lord and then they become great workers in the church. They become very dear to Paul. You go down to verse 5, there's something very interesting. They started having church in their house. They opened their home for people to come and hear about the gospel. Right? All because Paul is friendly, and shares with people. That ought to tell us something, folks. You know, we, we've had this, you know, who's your who in 22. We, we started talking about that at the beginning of the year. We haven't touched on it much lately, but if you're, if you're reading the electronic newsletter, I put that in there about every week, every week. Who's your who in 22? And we started off like gangbusters. We got off great. How are we doing now? Who's your who? Who have you brought in? Who have you, who have you ministered to? I, I want to hit on uh, another name. This might not be much to preach about, but I think it's interesting. Look at verse 13. Greet Rufus. 
I love that name, Rufus. That good? I know that, uh, yeah, Riley, uh, Riley Ru, Rufus. We call him Rufus, so I wish he was in here today. I wish this was a kid's day, but didn't know you gave your kid a Bible name, did you, Riley? Yeah, Rufus. I like that. But uh, that's what he was known. Greet Rufus. Who in the world is Rufus? Does anybody know? It's interesting, right? Um, we get some insight as to who Rufus is if we turn back to the book of Mark, right? Um, incidentally, Mark's book is written in Rome, and in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, you all know the story probably. Jesus is carrying the cross to Golgotha, and at one point, the cross gets so heavy that Jesus falls. You remember, like, at Easter time, every once in a while, we'll sing the song, Watch the Lamb, and we'll have the video up on the screen, and, and that whole story of the man bends and picks up the cross, got the two kids, right? Well, they're trying to portray this, this story that I'm talking about right here. Somebody was compelled to carry the cross. Does anybody remember who his name was? It wasn't Rufus. It, it was Simon, right? Simon of Cyrene. Very good. I heard some going through there. Simon, you got it, right? Here, Mark 15. Here, a passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, I think that's pretty incredible. There would be no other reason for the gospel writer of Mark to mention Alexander and Rufus to the church at Rome unless they knew who Alexander and Rufus were. And so he mentions them in this story and the fact that Simon was his father. And let's just put this story together. I think this is probably what happened. This is amazing how we don't miss an opportunity to witness to people because it can have a trickle-down effect that, that God, only God could, could make happen. Simon carries the cross of Jesus Christ, right? And I think because he carried the cross of Christ, he came to know Jesus Christ, okay? He and Mrs. Simon both come to know Christ, right? Probably because of that encounter. They may have even followed him all the way to the cross. They may have even watched him die. There's a good chance that's probably what happened. And then they had kids, and they raised their kids to know the Lord. And now these kids are active in the church at Rome. And again, you might be thinking, okay, why do we need to know this? It's because there's a great truth, there's a great foundational truth all throughout Scripture, especially in this chapter, and it's this. Out of calamity comes great opportunity. Out of difficult times, God makes incredible things happen. I've shared this with, with Scott several times in the past couple of weeks. As John Marklin used to say to me all the time, uh, never uh, waste a suffering. And I used to think, what, you know, what does that mean? Never waste a suffering. In other words, God is going to allow you sometimes to go through difficult times so that when you're done with that, you will have a testimony about how God has brought you through. And you can share that with somebody who's maybe going through something similar and help them through that. You can comfort one another with the same comfort that you've been given through your difficult time. And I think that's what's happening in this whole story. Whether it's the calamity of getting kicked out of Rome, if you're Priscilla and Aquila, they're uprooted, they had to move, you end up in Corinth. Uh, you sit next to a guy by the name of Paul in a synagogue and he leads you to Christ. 
out of calamity comes great opportunity. Or, or the church is persecuted, right? The church is persecuted. And so they're all running for their lives. And you know what happened when they ran for their lives? Everywhere they went, they started sprouting up churches everywhere. Tertullian said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Everywhere they went. you know. And so what, what Satan intended for harm, God used for good. And then there's this guy named Simon who carried the cross. He comes to know the Savior. And there's this trickle-down opportunity where the guy who carried the cross of Jesus has now got kids who's active in the church at Rome. At least one kid. He's the only one named. When we're faced with a difficult situation, we need to see it as an opportunity. Instead of just cowering down and giving up, we need to see it as an opportunity to grow. We need to see it as an opportunity for God to do his thing. We need to see it as an opportunity to lead other people to Christ. And then, and I guess before I move on, I need to, before we get to the third thing. When we're faced with a difficult situation, understand that God is never caught off guard. God's never sitting up there going, man, I didn't, I didn't see that coming. You know, he, He's never caught off guard. And sometimes he allows us to go through things. We don't like it. But he allows us to go th through it for whatever reason and his grand purpose. And he'll settle all that later. We just need to trust him and see it as an opportunity. Now here's the final thing. As a family, we must be discerning. I want to talk about this very briefly. Look at verse 16. I don't think I've ever preached a sermon or even mentioned this in a sermon before. It's a little verse, but here we go. Greet each other with a sacred kiss. All the churches of Christ send you their greetings. Some translations say holy kiss. And let me just say, I'm only kissing my wife and my grandson. That We ain't changing a thing. That's it. And y'all need to not start doing this. Okay? Don't do this. Just call, Well, Paul said we do this. Here's the deal. All right? Why is it here? In ancient times, this it was a custom to kiss a family member. Right? And what they would do is they would kiss one another on each side of the face, each cheek. They would kiss one here, kiss one here, maybe sometimes on the forehead. That's what family would do. And so Paul is saying, your family, do this. Right? This is a family gesture. And you need to understand that he's writing to a bunch of people who have been kicked out of their families. The church was full of people who had been kicked out. They had no family. And he's saying, listen, you guys need to understand that, that these are a bunch of people that have nobody. And you need to welcome them. And you need to honor them. And you need to love on them. And you need to treat them like family. People were being ostracized by their families all because they became Christian. And so Paul is saying, listen. These are the ones you really need to reach out to and welcome them. Greet one another like a family would. They're not getting that from their family. They need it from you. That's what this is about. I love how the Phillips translation puts this verse. Give one another a hearty handshake all around for my sake. I like that better. But I think that was written pre-COVID. So let's just settle for a, hey, 
let's give an enthusiastic hello. Can we go with that? So that, that, that works okay from here on. But the, the important thing is be kind, be friendly, be welcoming, be loving. And I, I'll wrap it up as the worship team comes. How do you treat one another in a family? You be discerning. This is how you love people. You watch out for people who come in and don't have a family. You watch over them. Verse 17, and now I make one more appeal, my dear, brother, my dear brothers and sisters. Watch people who cause division and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. So keep an eye out for that. Love people enough. Treat them like family enough to tell them the truth. But do it in a loving way. Such people who cause divisions, he's talking about, are not serving Christ our Lord. They're serving their own personal interests. By smooth talk and glowing words, they deceive innocent people. But everyone knows that you are obedient to the Lord. This makes me very happy, is what Paul said. I want you to be wise in doing right and to stay innocent of any wrong. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Now, this paragraph at the end of this letter might seem a little bit out of place, but it's not, and here's why. Any dad, any husband, any man who loves his family is going to protect his family. Love will do that. And so that's, that's what we need to be. We need to be that spiritual father to the fatherless. Right? That's what Paul did to, to people all throughout the Roman Empire. And God did a great work in Rome. And he didn't want any kind of division to destroy that, that work. And so I encourage you, be welcoming, be honoring, be discerning. And it all starts when you just say, God, just use me. Help me to get myself out of the way let you be at the forefront of every single thing that I do. I want to offer a song of decision this morning and maybe you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Christ. We want to start there. We want to give you that opportunity to surrender your life to Him. You, you confess Jesus as the Christ. Repent of your sin. Be baptized into Him if you've not done that. You start living your life for Him. But as I said, most of you probably already have done that. Would you just offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God? Allow yourself to be used of Him. I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to pray. If you have a need, would you come?